welcome. Let me tell you a few things that are going on uh, with Castle Ealing Church and California Christian Centre. So last week was half term, we had a lot of stuff not happening. All back on this week, so Wednesday we have Connect Group at Castle Ealing at half past ten. And there's another one at Robin Rachel's on Friday evening as well. Um, Thursday we've got warm spaces at Castle. Um, 10.30 till 2, we started that again this week. And so if you know people who might want to just come and be with a group of friendly people for the day, free food, free lunch, and uh, be warm together, enjoy each other's company, do a bit of art craft, then please do send along to Castle at half past 10 on Thursday. And then on Friday, quarter to 11, quarter to 10, sorry, quarter to 10, just testing you, Luke, that's all. Uh, but at California, we've got to stay and play, which is mums and toddlers. Parents and toddlers, I do apologise. That shows my age, doesn't it? Parents and toddlers at quarter to ten on Friday morning at Castle, at, at California, sorry. So much to remember, it's ridiculous. Uh, in a few weeks' time, we've got a Thanksgiving feast evening together, which we're holding at California. But it's open to everybody. If you'd like to come, it's bring and share. So I've asked you to sign up to say you'd like to come and what you might bring. We might not need everyone to bring everything. We're just going to assess what we've been offered and then uh, we'll let you know exactly what we want you to bring. But please do sign up. The sign-up sheets are here today um, out in the foyer, so please do um, do that. And also, if you're interested in singing in any of the Christmas carol services, we've got a sign-up sheet for a choir. Someone said, well, the word choir puts me off because I need to be really good to get a choir. It's, it's not, you know, it's anybody who wants to come, all right? If you can hold a tune, let's, let's set the bar there. Can you hold the tune? Then you can come be part of the choir, so please sign up for that as well. And we have a bulletin as well. If you haven't had one for November, please take one. Um, the details of the Christmas services are in that as well. I know that the time and the change of place fooled a few people this morning. Um, so at the moment, first Sunday in the month, we're going to be here at 11. And then the other weeks will be in the normal places at the normal time. So we're doing this again the first Sunday in December. But in between, we'll be back at Castle or back at California. Is that it? Yeah. Limitless. Yeah. Limitless. Limitless. I'm sorry, I've got Limitless. Yeah, Limitless Youth at Castle Eden at half past six on Friday. If you're a high school age... Or if you'd really like to get involved in kids at high school, then uh, with that there, please do turn for that. Just to say, next week I'm actually having a holiday from next Friday for a week, so I won't be around, um, but there will be plenty of people around who will. So next Sunday we have two visiting speakers, one at California and one at Castle. So that would be good. Okay, if you're a child or you're in Castle Kids, Castle Youth, high school age, it is your time to go. If you head that way, I'm sure there will be people who will show you. To be honest, it's a matter which door you go out of. If you keep walking around, you'll find it. <laughs> Some of them have practiced that this morning. It is nice to have so much more space here than we do at Castle, which is really nice. Are you okay? I'm trying to get out of it, but sorry, Mike. We have a 
really well. During my teenage years, so you can do the maths now, how old I am. And there was a lot of things that we had, that we didn't have in the 1980s that we have now. We didn't have mobile phones. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we used to have this thing called, I'll give you three rings. Does that mean anything? Yes. Yeah. So we know what we mean. Two, if you, two rings for you, okay. I'll give you three rings. If you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, because you're way too young. But basically, these days, if you go out, right, and you need your mum or your dad to come pick you up, you get to when you need picking up, and you ring them, don't you? On your phone. Yeah? yeah? That's all you do? Well, of course, back in the day, we didn't have the mobile phone, so we used to have to ring them using something called a phone box. So this red box you used to go in and you dial, and when I say dial, I mean dial, one number at a time. And eventually, when the person the other end picked up, to connect the call, you had to put money in, cash, 10p or something, which I think is actually quite expensive, considering how long ago it was. But that's what you did. So of course, we wanted to let our parents know that we were ready for a lift, but we didn't want to spend 10 pence. So what you'd do is you'd go in, you'd ring, You'd wait for it to ring three times and you'd cut it off. And your parents are at home, they're waiting for the three rings or the two rings. And uh, they'd be going, oh, phone's ringing. One, two, three. Oh, stop now. That must mean that uh, it's time to go pick them up. So that was how we used to do it before we had the mobile phone. I'll give you three rings. And it works. And there were other things in the 1980s that were going on that we don't have today. And we had something called the Cold War. And at the time we had America and we had the Soviet Union and they were not friends at all. And we thought, completely as teenagers, thought we were going to end up with some kind of big nuclear holocaust happening. And in the outside world there were songs that represented this, songs like uh, Two Tribes and Dancing the Tears in My Eyes. In popular culture there was this thing about we don't want nuclear war to happen. And in the Christian world, because of all of this going on, we used to talk a lot about the second coming of Jesus. And we had our songs too, songs like Thief in the Night, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. But the 1980s passed. We got to the end, the Cold War came to an end. I'm not sure whether it started up again, but back then it came to an end. And it was some sort of that we seem to forget. We don't seem to talk about the fact that the Bible says that Jesus is coming again. And so this morning, that's what we'll talk about. I don't think I've heard many sermons in the last 20 years about Jesus returning for a second time. And I'll be honest, I don't think I've preached any up until today. So how do we know that Jesus is going to come back? Well, it's a big subject. And this is just a brief visit today, right? Just a brief visit. But the Bible tells us that Jesus will return. You see, the Bible tells the story of time right from the beginning, right to the end, right to the new heaven and the new earth. Well, we're not there yet. So we must live somewhere in the middle of it all. Obviously that makes sense because there's still some things that we are yet to see. The coming of Jesus or the Messiah is predicted in the Old Testament many times. We'll be reading some of those prophecies in a few weeks when it's Christmas. But there are two kind of descriptions of him. There's the humble servant king. Isaiah 53, Jesus is 
despised, he's rejected, he's a man of sorrows, he's smitten by God, he's afflicted. The Jesus who came as a baby to Bethlehem to live on earth with us, experience what we experience and die to pay the price to save us. But the Old Testament prediction also mentions a different sort of Jesus coming, if you like. In Zechariah 14, verse 3, it says this, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half the mountain moving north and half moving south. So it says Jesus, he said one day he will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, that's a physical place on the earth. And these and many more suggestions, many more verses in the Bible suggest that Jesus will come, yes once as a baby, we're familiar with that, we've been through that, we know that, but again as a conqueror to establish his kingdom rule and reign. And Jesus when he did come the first time, in the New Testament he's quite open about his second coming. John 14, verse 1 to 3, you might be really familiar with these words. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus said, I will come back. At the beginning of Acts 1, this is a time when Jesus has finished his earthly ministry. He's been killed, he's been risen from the dead, and he's sitting with his disciples, standing with his disciples. And suddenly he ascends to heaven, and this is what it says in Acts 1.9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going. Can you imagine that? Looking up at the sky. A few weeks ago, we had a celebration. We had some helium balloons. And after the celebration, the kids were like, can we have the balloons? And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Tie it around your wrist. Otherwise, you're going to lose it. So I hand out the balloons, and we go out into the car park. And of course, within five minutes, someone's crying. And we're looking up at the sky. And the helium balloon is... You know, we can see it, and then suddenly you can't see it anymore. And that must have been a little bit like they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus will come back. The apostles Paul, Peter, John, Jude all speak about the return of Jesus Christ. James chapter 5, 7 and 8 says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So the Bible is full of this idea that Jesus will return and set up his kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth. I wonder if you have any questions about that. I 
I'm not taking questions, by the way. It's just a rhetorical question. Do you have any questions about that? Here's two that you might have. When is all this going to happen? And how is it all going to happen? That probably covers it, doesn't it? More or less. Let's think about the first question, which is actually the easiest one to answer. When is all this going to happen? When is Jesus Christ going to return to this earth? Let's read what Jesus said about that in Matthew 24, 36. It says, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handle, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So the answer to question one, when is all this going to happen, is simple. We don't know. We're not meant to know when Jesus will return. Even Jesus, when he was on earth, he restricted himself to a human body. Even he said he didn't know only the Father. You'd think that was clear, wouldn't you? We don't know. Despite this, people throughout the ages have predicted the return of Jesus. Three Christian theologians predicted Jesus would return in the year 500. They based this on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. No idea. A few went for the 1st of January 1000. Fair, fair, fair guess, fair guess. 20th of February 1524, due to the planetary alignment of Pisces. The 19th of October 1533 at 8am. Very precise. The 25th of December 1814, the 15th of September 1829, 22nd of October 1844, 7th of August 1847. The Jehovah's Witnesses came along and set many dates that came and went. The Mormons went for 1890. It was 1964, 1975, the 21st of June 1982, 1988, 1994, 2000, of course. 21st of May, 29th of September, the 21st of October 2011, it's a popular year. Several dates in 2012. 28th of September, 2015, 9th of June 2019, 27th of July 2020, and dates in 2021. That is just a small selection of the dates that have come and gone. Of course, there are dates in the future have been predicted to be the return of Jesus that are still to be. Apparently Isaac Newton made a prediction 2060. I might just make it. Jesus said, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But Jesus went on to say his return will happen, will happen when we don't expect it. Like a thief in the night. You don't ever go to bed at night expecting someone to come and break into your house, do you? If you did, you wouldn't sleep. You'd be lying there waiting, let to go and have a... Like a thief in the night. Paul also affirms Jesus' words in his first letter to the Thessalonians. He says, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, 
We do not need to write to you, for you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So it's clear, we don't know. But Jesus did say there would be signs to look out for. He said the gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. I wonder how we're doing with that. Has the gospel been preached to all nations? Well, actually, if you look up, if you think of a nation in terms of a country like Britain or France, or, then actually you could say, yes, the gospel has been preached to all nations. Actually, it might mean people groups. And there's a particular project called the Joshua Project who look into this, and they say that there are 17,291 people groups in the world. And they reckon that over 7,000 are still unreached with the gospel at this point. That's a challenge, isn't it? A challenge. Jesus said that the gospel will be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come. Jesus also talked about a time of great difficulty and tribulation. In Mark 13, 15, he says, Let no, no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women, nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter because those days will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. A time of great difficulty and tribulation. We might look at the news at the moment and think, is some of that happening now? There's definitely times of great tribulation. Signs in the physical world, again Jesus says, in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, and the stars will fall from the sky. Heavenly bodies will be shaken, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. The Apostle Paul in his writing to the church in Thessalonica talks about a world ruler, an antichrist who would come and run in the run-up to the second coming. So the easy question, when will Jesus return, we don't know, but there are some signs to look out for. So what about the second question, how is this going to happen? Just have a drink, am I? <laughs> mystery surrounding the second coming of Jesus. Many years ago in the church that I grew up in in Hailstone, we had a man come to the church to, to talk about the second coming and he came every night for a week. We went to church every night for a week to hear about the second coming. And he came every night and he had charts and he had diagrams and he spoke of premillennialism and amillennialism and all of that millennialism stuff. He talked about time frames, seven years, three and a half years, and many events of the second coming. Maybe he was right, I'm not having a go at him, don't get me wrong. But there's mystery surrounding all of this. Personally, I don't think we can pop it all on a diagram in a chart and have it all nailed down. The fact that several viewpoints on some of this can be argued from scripture, and the idea that we're not meant to know the timing suggests that God wants us to trust him about the second coming of Christ. There's a lot we're not meant to know. 
And you know, some of you might be sitting thinking, oh, this all sounds really quite scary. Tribulations and millennialism and all of that. All sounds quite frightening. And, you know, Jesus coming as a warrior king and all of that. But I want to repeat that again. God wants us to trust him about the second coming. God has our best interest at heart. If you're God's child today, if you've committed yourself to Jesus as Lord and Saviour, there's nothing to fear in this. He will take care of you. Here's some words that you may have heard relating to the second coming. You might have heard the term the rapture. It's a term that we use, but if you look it up in a Bible concordance, you won't find the word there. So what's that about then? The word means a carrying off, a taking away. It's this idea that at some point during the final events on earth, the church of Jesus' followers will be taken away from the earth to be with him. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, and so we will be with the Lord forever. 1 Corinthians 15, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, or we will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 John 3, verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears... We will be like him because we will see him as he is. It's certain then from the Bible that things the way they are today are not going to continue forever. And I think actually most people in the outside world, scientists, politicians, are concerned about how we, how does the human race continue? Massive numbers of people on earth, climate change, all of those things going on. And just the fact that people just don't get on with each other, let's be honest. Nations against nations. How is the world sustainable forever? We believe that actually it's not. That Jesus is going to come again and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And a time will come when Christ returns and takes his church away to be with him. We may not know the timing. And the relationship between this event and all of the other events we might discuss and argue about. But we do know we'll be changed. We'll be resurrected. We'll have a new imperishable body. That'd be good, wouldn't it? If you you start to creak a bit sometimes. A new imperishable body won't fail us and we will be with Jesus forever. You may have heard the word tribulation, I've already spoken about that, a period of great difficulty such we have not experienced as a planet. This word that I've tried to pronounce, millennialism, what does that mean? Some people say, well, I'm pre-millennialist, and I'm a millennialist, and I'm post and what on earth? It refers to a thousand years. And the book of Revelation is full of end-time prophecy, but it's apocalyptic and prophetic in nature, And it can be difficult to understand. You know, if you're a new Christian or you're new to the Christian faith, don't start with Revelation. Don't read that first because it's like, what is going on? But in chapter 20 of Revelation, John sees a vision of an angel who binds up Satan for a thousand years. And during this thousand years, Jesus reigns 
on the earth. And that's what we mean when we talk about millennium. And in this thousand year reign of Christ that gives reason, gives rise to the idea of millennialism. And really, whether if you hear someone talk about pre and post and A and all that, it's, it's really to do with whether you believe the churches will be taken away before, during or after, in the simplest of forms. It's complicated, isn't it? I'm trying to give you the basic headlines and some terms you may have come across. But here are some interesting things. Development of technology in the modern world has changed how we view some of the things that we read in Scripture. In Revelation 13, John talks about this Antichrist person and says that someone will have to have a mark on them, and without that they won't be able to buy or sell anything. And of course, a generation or two back, you imagined people having a tattoo on their forehead. And going in the shop, well, you've got a tattoo, that's okay, you can have some bread. But of course, now we're in a position where you can get a microchip put in your hand, and you go past the shopping and you go, and you paid. And there are some countries generally that, that do that already. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not getting more conspiracy theory and we have to, we wouldn't do that because we're Christians. But it's context, isn't it? It's context of the world we live in. Some of the things that were predicted are much more easy to happen now than they would have been a few years ago because of the advance of technology. Turn on. The Bible says that when Christ returns, every eye will see him. And of course, God could just make that happen because he's God. Or maybe the vision was looking forward to a time when pictures spread like wildfire around the globe, sent in seconds. You know, something could happen in Australia today, and within seconds, it'd be on your mobile phone. You'd be able to see it. I'm not saying that's the way it would be, but it's possible. I'm not saying we shouldn't use modern technology. But it's interesting, isn't it? So the point is, what do we need to know and how should we respond to all this? We need to know, first and foremost, that God loves us. God loves us. We are his people. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are his child, his beloved child. And can I just say, if you haven't today, you can We need to know that the second coming of Jesus is going to happen, but we can trust God fully with it. We don't need to know when it will happen. It might happen beyond our lifetimes. Maybe we will see it. Maybe our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will. But we need to know we can have hope in a hopeless world because of the second coming of Jesus. Think about some of the things you see on the TV at the moment, some of the horrors that are going on in parts of the world. And then imagine not knowing Jesus. Imagine not having faith. Imagine not having the hope of the resurrection. Imagine not having the hope of the second coming. Imagine not knowing what's going to happen to you at the end. And then look at what's going on in the world. It's hopeless. But we have hope. And we need to share that hope. We can have hope because of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus encouraged his followers in Luke 21. He said, there'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time we will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. 
But then this is what he says. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. We haven't got to be afraid. We've got to stand up. We've got to look up. A final encouraging reading from the end of the book of Revelation. This is where it's all heading. Quite how we get there, we don't know all of it, but this is where we're heading. John saw a vision. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was who was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's a great encouragement, isn't it? That's where we're heading. That's the good news, the hope that we have to share with a hopeless world. So how do we respond? There's really only one way. Be ready. Straight after Jesus tells his disciples about his second coming, he tells a parable of ten bridesmaids waiting for a bridegroom. And he calls them five wise bridesmaids and five foolish bridesmaids. He doesn't any punches, he's not polite or PC, you're wise, you're foolish. But it was a parable, so they didn't really exist. It's a story to illustrate what's going to happen. But basically, they're waiting here, these ten bride, bridesmaids are waiting for the bridegroom. Five of them have oil in their lamps, and the other five don't have anything spare. And the bridegroom is late. It's a wedding, that's what happens, isn't it? They have the permission to be late. The bridegroom was delayed in coming, and so the five bridesmaids who didn't have spare oil began to run out and their lamps began to go out. And they said to the ones who got the spare oil, please can you give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But they refused and said, if we give you our spare, we haven't got any spare and our lamps will go out. So the five foolish bridesmaids toddled off to the shops to buy some oil. While they're gone, the bridegroom arrives. And the five wise ones who were ready and prepared went into the wedding feast and the door was shut. The five who'd gone shopping missed the wedding because they were not ready. And the conclusion of that, Jesus said, Watch therefore because you do not know the day or the hour. So that is our challenge today, isn't it? Are we ready? Are we ready for Jesus to come back? Are we looking up? Now, I'm not suggesting we look up all the time. If you do that, you'll fall over, you'll trip over something. We have to have our eyes focused on where we are and what we're doing and what God's called us to do. But we also have to look up because we know that our redemption draws nigh. And yes, we may live or we may not live to see the second coming of Jesus. But we do know that one day he will call us to be with himself because he loves us and cares for us. So are we ready? How's your lamp this morning? Has it got plenty of oil? Is it burning brightly? Or is it going out a bit? Is it going dim? 
Do you need some more oil? Oil is representative of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Do you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life to keep that lamp burning brightly? Because you know what? We have got a message, haven't we, to share with a world that has no hope. We have a message. We have to share it. I began this morning saying that we're a light, we're the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We've got to be that light in this community and wherever you go in your week, we have to be that light. We have to share the gospel because we live in a place where people have no hope and we do. We have the hope of Jesus Christ who's coming again. And we can look up and we can get a bit excited about it, do yeah? A little bit? Some of you not so sure. I hope I haven't scared everybody today. I did mention that I was going to speak on this subject and one of my daughters said, you'll find everybody. <laughs> That's not the intention, but we have to. We have to be aware, don't we? Because we're nearer today to the return of Jesus than ever we were in the 1980s. We don't know how near, but we're nearer. We know that because time has come by. So I want to challenge you today. We're going to sing one final song which says, Lord, I give you my heart. And I want to challenge you today to think about it. Am I ready? Is my lamp burning brightly? Am I full of the Holy Spirit today? Am I prepared to share this message of the gospel of hope with those people around me who are hopeless? Am I ready? Am I ready to see Jesus? Because that would be a good day, won't it? Yeah. I think that's that doing a bit of a yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When we see Jesus face to face. So let's sing this song as we come towards the closing. Commit ourselves again. Lord, I give you my heart. I live for you. Amen.